0: Morning, everybody. Uh, Today's reading comes from 1 John, beginning at the first verse, and you'll be able to follow on the screen behind me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin." If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate in the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live, as Jesus did.
1: Thanks, Simon. I'll put it back after Blender. <laughs> okay. Good morning. My name is Michael. Please, I uh, think, think I met everyone here. If I haven't met you, come and say hello after church. Normally, I'm out with the kids. Um, I'm really excited to have a chance to speak about one John. So let's begin. How do you know you have eternal life? I became a Christian when I was in uh, Year Seven, the last year of my primary school. And I remember going to the Baptist church where we went as a family and the pastor said, Jesus is going to come back. It was a sermon on the return of Christ. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, so get ready. His message was, repent because you don't know when Jesus is going to return. So for me as a kid in year seven, I'm coming home from church that day, sitting on the green couches and talking to my mum and saying, I want to become a Christian. So I prayed with her, Lord, um, come into my life, please forgive me for my sins, help me to live your way. And it was a really significant moment, but it really was only about a week later that I realised, actually, uh, there's still sin in my life. I know some of you might be shocked, but as, uh, in, year seven, in year seven, I was acutely aware that I, I, I'm not right, I'm not perfect, and it caused me um, insecurity in my early faith. I thought... Eh has God really chosen me? Am I, am I really His? Why do I still get angry for no good reason? Why do I still want to serve myself rather than God? So again, I went and talked to my mum and asked her about it. And she took me straight to the book of 1 John. I remember it well. It was a significant moment. She said in 1 John chapter 5, I think it was verse 11, she said, let's, let's look at this. It says, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So mum said to me, do you know Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? I said, well, yes. Said, well, you have life. You can be confident in your forgiveness and in the life that you have in Jesus. I think mum was right to take me to 1 John. The book of 1 John um, is a book all about having assurance in our salvation. There's lots going on in 1 John, but if you had to kind of punch it in the guts of what is 1 John about, that would reassuring Christians that they have eternal life. Um, when you came in, you should have got a handout, and on there, there is some sermon notes. This could be helpful if you're someone who likes taking notes. And in the box at the top of those is my purpose statement, for the book of 1 John. Let me read it to you. What is 1 John about? The purpose of 1 John is to reassure believers that they have life and fellowship in God's family if they walk in obedience, truth, and love. To reassure believers they have life and fellowship in God's family if they walk in obedience, truth, and love. And the author of 1 John does this in the context of false teaching, wrong ideas about God that threaten the church. So just like today, the church at the time of 1 John was written was confronted by wrong ideas about God, false ideas that bubbled to the surface. How are we to know when wrong ideas threaten us? What are we to do when we get confronted by an idea that erodes or confuses us in our faith? I think 1 John offers some really helpful tests and uh, some really helpful tips on how to identify false teaching. Now, we're not going to be looking at every verse or even every chapter in 1 John. It's a five chapter book. We've got um, three sermons looking at it. But if you. That was a bird, wasn't it? <laughs> it's fallen away. Uh, can I commend to you the Bible study series? So I've got some Bible study notes, they're fairly comprehensive, there's six studies and they're available if you'd like to take them outside. Bible study, you could use it for your personal reading in the book of 1 John or you could use it in your home groups, your, Bible, your community groups. Uh, you might like to use these to kind of complement the sermon series, so pick up where the sermons leave off. It's a great book please uh, do use it in your own reading time as well. So let's jump in. Um, if you've got it on your phones or you've got a Bible with you, let's have a look at the first four verses of 1 John chapter 1. And it's interesting that the book of 1 John doesn't begin with your traditional greeting, like, hi, Apostle Paul here writing to you, Galatians. So just get straight into it. It might be that the, um, the author of 1 John wants the book to be passed around and doesn't want to identify one group of people. Or it might be he just wants to get straight into it. Also, in 1 John, we don't get a clear identification of who wrote the book. Uh, As Chris pointed out, it's pretty commonly accepted that it was the Apostle John who wrote the book of 1 John. There's similar ideas you saw in in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Actually, there's a lot of ideas about God being from the beginning and being light, and we pick those up here as well. And and also, um, in the book of 1 John the author really emphasises he was an eye witness of Jesus. So it makes sense that it's probably the Apostle John who's writing this book. In fact, those four verses at the start so emphasise the fact that the writer was an eyewitness of Jesus. And he talks about eyes, ears. It reminds me of that children's song, you know. Eyes and ears and mouth and nose, mouth and nose, mouth and nose. Everyone's not singing with me. Oh, clap. But it's... You know, we're not allowed to. That's right. So, <laughs> the the idea being in one John, if you look at those first four verses, just look at how much he mentions heard, seen, eyes touched, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, looked at it, our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared; we've seen it, and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you might have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and the son and we write this to make our joy complete even in verse five this is the message we heard and we declare it to you so why the the mega focus on these senses well, I think the author wants us, John wants to see that he writes with the authority of one who was an eyewitness of Jesus. It's like he's stating his credentials. I was with him. I heard. I saw. I touched. Um, my message, the message of 1 John, is not made up. I wasn't sitting under an apple tree and saw a vision. It's not based on popular philosophy or ideas. It's about Jesus, whom I have seen and touched. The author writes about nothing less than the word of life which he has seen. So it gives the readers, it gives us great confidence in this message as opposed to the popular uh, false ideas that have bubbled up within the church that he's writing to refute. How can we know this is a message to listen to in the context of false teaching? It is a message concerning Jesus by our witness. So have confidence. So what's the message itself? It's life. Just three times in just 20 words, the word life is is mentioned in this introduction. You see it at the end of verse 1. We proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appears. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you eternal life, which is with the Father, has appeared. And that's appeared in Jesus. So the stakes are high. What's on offer in the book of 1 John is eternal life. So listen up, is I think what the writer John is saying. It was, it's here from the beginning, it's appeared in Jesus, it's come from the Father. This is the life John proclaims to his readers. And he proclaims it to them so that they might have fellowship with them as their fellowship is with the Father and the Son. So here's another big theme that comes up in 1 John is fellowship. Fellowship or church family is emphasized in the book. And fellowship in 1 John is always tied up. That's fellowship with the God with God is including in fellowship with each other. We we can't have fellowship as Christians in anything less than fellowship with God in the gospel, the common grace that we share. That's what makes us a spiritual family. So John proclaims life so that we might have fellowship with him and with the Father and the Son. So that's the first four verses. It's a pretty punchy introduction to the book. From here and the rest of chapter one, John goes on to really identify three false claims that his readers would have been familiar with. You can see the false claims as you flick your eye through the chapter, as he starts each one of them with the phrase, if we claim... So it's in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. If we claim, here's the false claim, and here's his response. So that's kind of the structure that we'll use in the sermon as well. But before he even identifies the false claims, he hits the truth that all the false claims got wrong. The root problem in those false claims is that they fail to recognize who God is. See in verse 5 who is God? God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Light is a common symbol that the Bible uses to talk about God. And what way is God like light? Well, light illuminates. Light is bright. Light reveals. Um, If you shine a bright light into darkness, the shadows disappear. So just like uh, darkness is incompatible with light, so sin is incompatible with God. So, the false teachers got this wrong. God is light. Sin is not okay with God. So much of the Old Testament emphasizes this, doesn't it? All the narrative, the law, the ritual in the Old Testament, in the way that the people were meant to commune with God, it emphasized holy, unholy, clean, unclean. What you need to do to become clean. There's that emphasis. God is holy. Don't get this wrong. So, this is the big truth about God which really debunks all of those false notions that are about to follow. Okay, the other thing about light is that it reveals things. So why is God light like? Well, he he's interested in revealing himself to people. God is about revelation. He does it in Scripture and ultimately in Jesus. So if someone pops up saying, I have a secret knowledge about God or I've got a special anointing from God, oh, I think we should treat it the very least was a serious suspicion. It's not in God's character to hide something important that we need to know. He's revealed it. Okay. So what are the false claims? Let's get into them. So again in your in your outline you'll see this. Uh there's false claim number one, uh fellowship with God is not affected by sin. That's wrong. And then there's John's response. And there's false claim number two that we're without sin. That sin isn't even a thing. That's wrong, and John responds. And there's false claim number three, that we haven't sinned. So let's look at those, starting with a false claim. Number one, it's in verse six, and it starts with that refrain. If we claim, if we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. How can we say we have fellowship with holy God and comfortably live a life in darkness and sin? Clearly, God is light. In Him, there's no darkness at all. But how can we say we have fellowship with Him and yet do what we want to do? Live the old way. Live in sin. At that point, your life is incompatible with God. So this is the lie that our relationship with God isn't impacted by sin. It's a false claim. It probably comes out of um, the early form of Gnosticism that was in the early church. This is the idea that the the physical body is like an envelope for the spirit and the physical body actually can't impact on the spirit. So it doesn't matter what you do with your body, your spirit can still be right with God. That's a false notion and John John attacks it here. It's a lie. You can't live, you can't, uh, you can live, however you want and doesn't affect your inner spirit. It's a lie. Do you reckon this idea is still around today? I think it's a really popular idea, the idea that our behaviour doesn't impact our relationship with God. Uh, I have quite a clear memory of a time when I was in year 11 and a guy in year 12 came to our youth group and became a Christian and not long after he became a Christian I was at school uh, walking up the external uh, stairwell to the science labs and this guy who's become a Christian was in front of me with his mates and I overheard them talking. I wasn't eavesdropping, I promise. Like They were just there talking. And this is, this is what happened. His mates knew he'd become a Christian. They said to him, Hey, you've been forgiven now. You can live however you want, right? It doesn't matter what you do. Is that right? I wasn't brave enough to pipe up and say anything. But it struck me as being a really easy thing for people to do. You, you become a Christian. You, it's like you're ticking off your spiritual life insurance. And then you go on and continue to live how you want. What does John say? What's his response? If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, it's a lie. We do not live out the the truth. Of course, our behavior matters. He says this in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So walk in the light. God is light. Walk in Him, walk in righteousness, and, and don't pretend that sin and darkness are irrelevant to God. Who is light? What is the results of walking in light? Well, two things I identified in verse seven. They have fellowship, we have fellowship with one another. When we walk in the light and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So firstly fellowship with one another. What you would expect John to write at this point is if we walk in the light we have fellowship with God. But he says if you walk in the light we have fellowship with each other with So it's like John just pushes it to the next step. Of course when we walk in the light we have fellowship with God and the consequence of that is we have fellowship with each other as it takes us back to verse three fellowship with god and fellowship with each other are closely tied in one john and the other thing the consequence is if we walk in the light the blood of jesus purifies us from all sin well, what's going on here surely if we're walking in the light we have no need for purification we're already pure well walking in the light doesn't equal never slipping up walk Walking in the light, walking with God, living out the truth, means acknowledging our sin and seeking God's forgiveness and living more and more like Him. It's a daily walk with Him. So rather than pretending that sin doesn't matter, walk with God, treat sin seriously, daily trusting in Jesus to purify us from sin. So that's claim number one, that we can live however we want to, and it doesn't affect our fellowship with God. It's wrong. Claim number two. Uh, you'll see in verse 8, this is that sin doesn't even exist. Claim number two. If we claim, verse 8, to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is the very denial of sin itself. Again, I think we see some forms of this false teaching in the around today. Uh, there are churches who want to minimize teaching on sin um, and judgment in fact there's even churches in adelaide i think who have stopped teaching about sin believing it's like it's antiquated that's from a that's from a past religion it's not you know it's not sensitive in our modern context well the problem with not teaching about sin is that you're essentially saying we're we're perfect and we don't need jesus you're saying well jesus didn't have to die because sin's not a real thing in fact, that's what happens to churches who stop teaching on sin and judgment. They often become very soft on the gospel as well. Uh, they start to minimize the fact of that actually Jesus died a horrific death so that you might be forgiven from sin. It slowly moves away from the gospel. So claim number two, we're without sin. It's a self-deception. And it's a lie that sets people outside of God and outside of truth how does John respond to claim to what's John's response he says there is an antidote there's there's a a thing you can do to deal with this very easily and that is rather than deny that sin is a thing confess your sins have a look in verse 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness So don't be self-deceived, rather, confess sin. And know that we have a faithful God who hears us and forgives us and purifies us from all sin. Isn't this a great encouragement for Christians? does not this offer us great assurance of our salvation? We want to walk in the light as God is in the light. But we know that we slip up. Yet we can have confidence in our salvation because of his incredible god promise if we confess our sins he is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness there's one more false claim in chapter one um, and let's look at this very briefly that's the claim that we have not sinned so it's in verse 10 if we claim that we have not sinned we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. So this claim doesn't deny that sin is a real thing. It just says it's actually we can live above it. We can can live without sin. I reckon it's probably the worst of the three claims. The idea that you can somehow live untouched by sin. It may have come from people within the church context at the time who felt that they were so enlightened that sin was no longer a problem for them. What does John respond? He just doesn't say much. He just blows it out of the water. If you are saying that you can live without sin, you're saying God's a liar. Um, the idea of the universality of human sin, that all people are sinful, is pretty well established in Scripture. And we, we know it right from the start of Genesis, through Scripture, through the story of Israel, through the teachings of Apostle, uh, from, from Paul in Romans As we looked at this this year, was it? So clearly, we are people that are marred by sin uh, we can't claim to be above it scripture is adamant all right let's bring some of these things together so we've got god is light he starts out so pull sorry um, john picks up his letter to write one john uh, picks up his pen and starts out well, i've got an important message to write to you uh, i was an eyewitness i so have confidence in this message And he starts out with, this is a message on eternal life. And we can have confidence in it. He claims God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So don't minimize or explain away sin. Don't you know you are the children of God and you must walk in the light as God is in the light. So here's two truths that keep coming up in 1 John. And they're clearly in 1 John 1. Sin matters for believers. So, grab hold of this truth with one fist and don't let go. Sin matters for believers. Don't minimise it. Don't explain it away. Sin always gets in the way of fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. So, sin matters. You see it in the start of chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin take sin seriously. Like Jesus, John sets a high bar on Christian behaviour. You see in 1 verse 7, walk in the light as he is in the light. In chapter 2 verse 3, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. And then in verse 6 in chapter 2, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's a high bar for Christian behaviour, so don't minimise the impact of sin. Second truth, Here's another one. Grab it with your second fist. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice of sins. See how these things sit together at the start of chapter 2? Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Take sin seriously. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Hold these two truths tightly, treat sin seriously, and rely on Jesus for forgiveness. I think if we let go of either one of these, we run the risk of falling into a trap. So, if we fail to treat sin seriously, we're at risk of taking the sacrifice of Jesus for granted. We're at the risk of thinking that God isn't actually that concern with our behavior and we can forget that God is light. On the other hand, um, if we let go of the offer of forgiveness we have in Jesus and just emphasize our sinfulness, we're at risk of just wallowing in our own sin, feeling that sense of hopelessness or perhaps worse we're at risk of thinking it's okay we can do this you know with some kind of grit and determination of self-righteousness we can i can i can be right in my behavior and i don't need jesus but either one of those things is a bit of a a pitfall we've got to hold them both together take sin seriously rely on jesus for forgiveness it strikes me that a really good way to hold them together is with confession Uh, Certainly that's where John goes in chapter 1, 9. Confession. Confession is about being honest about our sin, turning away from our sin and simultaneously confession is about demonstrating or relying on Jesus for forgiveness. Coming to him, please forgive me. So it holds those things in really well. And isn't this what it means to walk in the light? Rather than a believing a lie, so rather than pretending that sin doesn't affect our uh, our fellowship with God, or pretending that sin doesn't even exist, or that we can be without it, confess sin. Don't hide it. Ignore it. Don't hide it in our hearts as some secret thing we don't want to let go of. Confess it. Bring it into the light as He is in the light. And when we do, have great confidence we are forgiven jesus sacrifice is sufficient we have jesus standing before the father as our advocate his blood is sufficient how can we know this because he is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness I'm going to pray, and in a moment uh, we're going to do a a prayer of confession together. I think this would be a really great way to to respond to 1 John 1 to 2 6. Um, so let me pray, and then together we'll confess our sins as a way of responding to this. So let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to you confidently, knowing we are yours, and we're in your family together, because of Jesus. Help us not to deny or minimize sin in our lives, but to treat it seriously, to come to you, to confess it, turn away from it, to hate it, and then to rejoice in the sure hope we have of salvation in Jesus. Amen.